and welcome everybody to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope you're well. It is Wednesday, October 7th, and uh, I tell you what, you know, it just seems like we cannot stop the great guests from appearing on the show. We try to stop. We say, please don't come. No, we don't want you. We don't want tier A people. We want tier B people. We want tier C, tier D. Of course, in God's eyes, we're all tier A, are we not? But today on the uh, the Water Cooler Show, we have uh, senior advisor to the Trump campaign, Jason Miller, top dog over there. So looking forward to talking to him. Actually, I already talked to him. We're going to play the audio of it from the Water Cooler Show uh, that airs Monday through Friday. That's my new one-hour show. It airs Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern on Real America's Voice, uh, also on uh, Dish 219. Uh, that's Channel 219, Pluto Television, Amazon Fire, uh, Roku, Apple TV, all that type of stuff. It, it's really great television, if I do say so myself, because it's called The Water Cooler with David Brody. So that's the narcissism. Anyhow, Jason Miller is going to talk about the two specific states that the Trump campaign needs to win in 2020. He'll say that on the broadcast or the podcast, I should say, today. Also, Dinesh D'Souza, the conservative firebrand and documentary filmmaker, out with a new documentary called Trump Card, where he gets into socialism and the deep state and Hunter Biden and all of that. He'll be on the program to discuss that as well. That's all coming up on the Pod's Honest Truth. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth. Time now for our interview with Jason Miller, uh, Trump's senior advisor to the 2020 campaign. Uh, He's going to talk about a lot of stuff today, uh, specifically about the vice presidential debate coming up uh, tonight in Salt Lake City between Kamala Harris and Vice President Pence, and also the campaign ahead in terms of when Donald Trump might be on uh, the road, not just to recovery, but the road, the campaign trail road, if you will, when he might be back. So all of that coming up uh, here with Jason Miller. Jason, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. David, thanks for having me. Well, give us some insight, Jason, to all of this <laughs> this plexiglass controversy surrounding the debate. Uh, what's, give us a TikTok on that. Yeah, so uh, look, this is really a lot of gamesmanship being played by the Biden-Harris camp. Uh, they want to have this little, tiny, a couple foot high plexiglass divider uh, to the side of Senator Harris and then in front of Susan Page uh, from USA Today, who's the moderator. Uh, and it's really just a big play for show. I mean, there's any uh, virologist or epidemiologist or anyone who's involved with this will tell you that that will do absolutely nothing to keep anyone safe. And Vice President Pence, who's the head of the task force for President Trump, of course, knows uh, that that isn't going to do anything. I mean, hey, take a look at the fact that um, people who've been tested and socially distanced and do all the things they need to still have contracted COVID. There are a lot of things about this disease we don't know. What we do know is that tiny little plexiglass divider won't do anything. But to give you a little bit of inside the scoop, uh, I'm not sure if this news is broken anywhere else, but uh, we have left a ticket uh, at the front desk for Tupac Shakur tonight uh, to sit in the audience with Vice President Pence. As we know, that's Kamala Harris's favorite rapper alive. And so if Tupac happens to be in Salt Lake City, I don't know, maybe he brings Biggie. We only left one ticket, uh, but there will be a seat for Tupac if he shows up. Okay, well, that's good to know. Uh, So maybe Tupac is out there. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Hey, Jason, let me ask you a little bit about debate strategy tonight. How is uh, how is that going to go exactly? Kamala Harris is a pretty good debater. (laughs) 
Uh, she is, but you know what? Vice President Pence is, he is tough. I think a lot of people uh, underestimated him in 2016, and he absolutely chopped up Tim Kaine. I mean, they're still scraping up the pieces of, of Tim Kaine, whatever's left of him, and that was pretty much the end. I don't even think uh, Crooked took Tim Kaine on the campaign trail after that. He was just, he was crushed. Uh, but look, Vice President Pence is, he is a, a very methodical, uh, he knows exactly how he wants to play this. He's, he's very disciplined. Uh, he will know more about Kamala Harris's record than she will. Uh, but I think, too, uh, the whole point of we've seen a divide between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden um, and where she's attacked him pretty ruthlessly, particularly for being a, a pretty blatant racist. Uh, but then there are also a lot of things where Kamala Harris is pushing Joe Biden to the left, way out into crazy town uh, territory left, whether we talk the Green New Deal, whether we talk the Real Deal, Medicare for all, all these things. I mean, uh, but the one thing, a commonality, I think you're going to hear the vice president call out Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on tonight uh, is their efforts to go and bail out criminals. Uh, the fact that these are, they want to bail out rioters, bail out looters, bail out Antifa members. Uh, this is really kind of the radical agenda that Kamala Harris, again, 2019, the single most liberal senator in the entire U.S. Senate. Uh, not, not a poser like Bernie Sanders, but the real deal, super hardcore extreme. Jason, I've looked at some of these polling numbers. I know you, you do this for a living. What is your sense about the polling? Because some of these national polls, and I understand the battleground state polls are closer. These national polls show Biden plus 12, plus 11, plus 14 from NBC News, Wall Street Journal. But then I looked inside those numbers, and it's like plus nine differential uh, for Democrats in terms of who they're polling in these. And not only that, but it seems like they're not polling as much of the non-college educated crowd as well. What, what is your sense on the methodology of all of these polls? A lot of it's a big guessing game. As we saw from the pollsters, they fundamentally got it wrong in 2016. I don't think there have been really any um, uh, industry-wide changes, so to speak, with polling. Uh, they still undercount Trump supporters. I mean, uh, David, here, I'll give you a, a little insight on this. Trump rallies, when we do these events that have anywhere between 10, 15, 20,000 people, we routinely get between uh, between about 13 and 22% of the attendees didn't even vote in 2016. So as we talked about the uh, the forgotten men and women, the uncounted Trump voter in 2016, there are a lot of those folks here in 2020 as well. Uh, we also think that Democrats, a lot of their core constituencies, you talk, cal uh, talk college campuses, for example. Well, guess what? Most of these college campuses, uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison, uh, Dartmouth, uh, as we talk in New Hampshire, a lot of these places aren't even holding in-person classes, so they're not gonna have the same day registration games that we've seen in the past. So there's a whole lot of unknown right now for who's actually going to show up. And the, the critical point, David, is we don't know to the extent Democrats are going to be able to get a lot of their base voters to vote by mail. Uh, typically, it's been for Democrats on Election Day, uh, the bus picks you up, you get a free box lunch, uh, they drive you around, uh, they make it kind of a fun event. Now they're saying, hey, you don't get the free lunch anymore. You just got to go and mail your ballot in. We'll see what that drop off is. Give me a sense, Jason, of the timeline for the president to get back on the campaign trail. Is it safe to assume that all events, at least this week, would be canceled and, and you'll reevaluate on Monday? Or do you think he could get back on the campaign trail before then? This is, of course, uh, assuming that he tests negative for COVID. But if that happens, when do you expect him back on the campaign trail? 
Well, he's definitely going to be back out by next Thursday when we have the presidential debate, the second debate down in Miami. Uh, hope to have it before then. Uh, I was actually just on the phone with the president a little while ago talking through some different things that we might do um, uh, beginning of next week, maybe even over the weekend, maybe gets clearance from the doctors. But the one thing we want to make sure of on the campaign side is we don't push the president too soon. We want to make sure that he heals fully, that he recovers fully so we don't have any any hiccups with that. So the second that the doctors give clearance, we're going to be ready to rock. Just so I understand, when you say a few things, uh, obviously it's a conversation between you and the president, but are you talking about within D.C. or potential travel before Thursday? All of the above. Uh, we're looking at a number of virtual things that we can do immediately uh, that we could even see starting as soon as tomorrow on Thursday, uh, then heading over the weekend, beginning of next week. As soon as the doctors give us the go ahead, we want to get out, get on the road, start doing some different things. I do think you're going to see um, uh, both some speeches, both some in-person events. And uh, look, we have about three and a half, just under four weeks to go in this campaign. And there's a real difference between President Trump and uh, Joe Biden. And you can see President Trump taking it to him. Jason, there's some news in the last few hours, or at least this day, about the New Jersey federal judge shooting down uh, the campaign's attempt to halt states' new mail-in voting rules. Uh, there, are some, there was a concern, obviously, allowing ballots to be counted a couple of days after the election from a postmark standpoint, a federal judge striking that down. Uh, what's the reaction to that? And moving forward, how, how are you planning to fight all of this in court? So it's a pretty aggressive uh, legal battle everywhere and to give folks an idea on that. So I'm not so much worried about New Jersey. Uh, I mean, it'd be great if we could win New Jersey, but right. I don't think that's gonna happen necessarily in 2020. Uh, we were successful in making sure that all ballots had to be returned by election day in Georgia, uh, a state that is, uh, that is much more important, uh, that is in play. Uh, so we're successful there. Uh, also successful in South Carolina um, in making sure that the um, having a uh, witness uh, signature along with absentees is still in place. And since this was decided by the Supreme Court, this is something that we can then use with other states as well as these cases start to get reviewed. And so we feel pretty good about where we are right now. But, uh, David, these Democrats are going to lie, cheat and steal and find every Democrat appointed judge uh, to try to give them the, the hookup on the way here. We want to make sure that everybody can vote, but people can only vote once and they got to vote by election day. We want to make sure in the cases like Nevada, where they're literally right now allowing people to receive and count ballots with no postmark up to three days after the election and ballots to be received and counted up to seven days after the election. So at a certain point here, this is like Tip O'Neill back in the 80s of just holding open the vote until they get enough to win. That really feels like what the Democrats are trying to do here. I want to ask you a little bit about Ohio and Iowa. There's a story about how the campaign is kind of maybe pulling back some of the campaign ads in those states and possibly focusing on some others. What can you tell me about that? I don't want, I mean, I know I read it in the mainstream media, so I guess it must be true, Jason. But, you know, could you maybe tell me what's what's happening in those states and where some of the focus is going down the home stretch here, coming down the home stretch? Absolutely. So earlier in the campaign, what you always do for the fall is reserve your TV time. So any of the potential battlegrounds, you put your reservations in, make sure that you're going to have that ad time available to you uh, should you need it. We feel pretty good about where we are for both Ohio and Iowa. Uh, and also we've moved some of our spending to national broadcast. One of the things that we found, uh, this is a little bit kind of inside baseball, but you might be interested here. Uh, you take, for example, uh, let's take Phoenix, uh, where it's uh, well over $2,000 a gross mm -hmm. rating point mm -hmm. right now. 
now because of that Senate race. We can buy a spot on, say, National Good Morning America uh, for, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars. But if you want to buy just in the Phoenix media market, it would cost fifty thousand. So in a number of these states around the country, we're moving away from some yeah. of the in-state buying to the national buying. It then not only is it cheaper, but we're reaching the entire country as opposed to just that one media market. So some of it's a little bit moving around, but we do feel good about sure. where we are in Ohio and Iowa. I got 20 seconds left. Uh, do you think this thing's going to be settled on November 3rd or we wake up on November 4th or is this going to the Supreme Court, Jason? Uh, watch Arizona and Florida. If President Trump wins both of those, uh, I think we win. Uh, if those are both decided because they have different rules and requirements uh, to actually count the ballots uh, in a reasonable time. Uh, if we're still counting in those two states, uh, then it might go yeah. a little bit longer. But those are the, the two benchmarks to keep an eye on. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. That was Jason Miller here on The Pod's Honest Truth. All right, time now for our water cooler interview that we did on the big show today. Once again, the television show, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. on Real America's Voice. We did this with Dinesh D'Souza. He's out with a new documentary called Trump Card, talking about socialism and the deep state. Uh, and we get into what he calls his most important film yet, and also some of the new revelations about Hillary Clinton and the fact that it looks like she all along had planned to disrupt the 2016 election with this fake Russia Trump spy narrative. Here is Dinesh D'Souza. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Hey, it's a great pleasure. Good to be on with you. Well, first, tell us about the groundbreaking film. I mean, there's a lot in here. Shockingly, from you, you've got uh, another groundbreaking film to tell us about. Well, this is, I think, my um, very best film. It's number five of my documentary series. And uh, some of the earlier films have been more historical or they focused on an individual, whether Obama or um, Hillary. This one is about socialism. That is, that's its topic. It's, the film is loosely based on my book, United States of Socialism. And I think that reflects the destination that the democratic left wants to go in. Uh, the film explores not only the ideas of the new socialism, but also its tactics. And uh, it lays out who's behind it and why it's evil. And then it brings forward Trump as this very unlikely figure, very interesting figure, who is the political leader of the fight against socialism. So the last question explored by the film is how do we stop it? And so then what happens after that as it relates to this election, Dinesh? I mean, in other words, if Trump is kind of this force, if you will, this kind of human force that is there trying to stop socialism to a degree here, what in the world happens if he loses and what does it mean for America? Uh, in the film, we treat Trump in two uh, distinct respects. We treat him as the quintessential capitalist because for most of his career, even before entering politics, he was a builder, he was an entrepreneur. And so he embodies the opposite of the socialist spirit. You can think of Trump as building things, whereas think of Antifa as like smashing things and knocking down monuments and destroying things. That's, that's the socialist mentality. Um, now, uh, if Trump loses, I think that there will be a concerted 
effort to demonize anyone and everything associated with Trump, uh, to make the Trumpsters, if you will, all be persona non grata, stigmatize all of us, make it seem like we were all part of some very ugly blip on the American landscape that needs to be eradicated and never allowed to return again. Uh, if Trump wins, then I think he'll be like Reagan with a second term. He'll have a chance over eight years to transform not only our public policy, but our courts, and to some degree, even our culture. America was a different place in 1988 than it was in 1980. And I would say the Reagan revolution actually lasted all the way till 2008 when Obama was elected. So it was a 25-year event. Um, and that is the kind of impact that Trump could have if he wins. Talk to me about Antifa a little bit. How much do you get into Antifa in the documentary? And what about what you see going on in today's events? I mean, Joe Biden calls it an idea. And I know a lot of people laughed at that. Uh, but if you kind of go broader with Antifa, there is an underlying um, theory, an idea behind the radical left in this country. In the movie, we treat two groups of thugs, uh, the thugs on the street and the thugs with badges. The thugs with badges are the deep state. These are the conspirators in the Justice Department, in the FBI, the CIA, the kind of people who frame their political opponents, try to overturn the results of an election. They're very dangerous. We go into that. Uh, and then the thugs on the street are these paramilitaries, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Now, what makes these people especially dangerous is that they have friends in high places. They have friends who produce conveniently large um, sets of blocks, cement blocks for them to throw. They have Hollywood people who put up bail money for them. They've got media people who cover up for them. They've got powerful friends in the mayor's office in Portland and in Berkeley and even New York City. So this is a paramilitary conducted with the approval of the Democratic Party. Uh, and that's what makes it resemble the uh, black shirts of Mussolini in Italy in the 20s or the brown shirts in Germany, early Nazi Germany in the early 1930s. Dinesh, I want to get your take on some of the news of the day as it relates to the first group that you talked about, Deep State with badges. Uh, you know, we've got uh, a Brennan, John Brennan's a handwritten note declassified now showing that Hillary Clinton indeed uh, was cooking up something there behind the scenes. We kind of knew this all along, but Ratcliffe has come along at DNI and said, you know, look, we're going to expose all of you. What do you make of the, the latest uh, breaking news today? It's uh, very shocking because it shows um, that both Hillary and Obama are involved, kind of what we suspected but never knew. I always found it very inconceivable that uh, Strzok and Page and Comey and Clapper and Brennan, all these people, some of them in different agencies, would independently undertake these kinds of um, insidious expeditions. But no, somebody gave the order. That somebody, I think, was Obama. So it looks like Hillary was the instigator, but Obama was the supervisor who carried the ringleader, if you will, who carried it out. Now the question is, are we going to be content to expose this or are we going to do something about it? Uh, I think it's really important to show that these thugs with badges are held accountable. And that means at some point we need to see some indictments and we need to see some handcuffs. Now, this may be pushed into the Trump second term. Trump didn't really even control his own Justice Department for much of the first term. So I can forgive some sort of a delay. But what I can't forgive is letting th these sorts of crimes go unpunished. Dinesh, I want to ask you a little bit about Hunter Biden. Uh, we talked about that at the top of the, uh, the interview, but I am curious about exactly uh, what you discover in the book, what you point out, because the mainstream media has been totally AWOL on this. Yeah, one of the themes that I explore in the book United States of Socialism, but also in the movie Trump Card, 
uh, we lay out how Biden has been running what can be called the Biden family racket. Uh, it involves Hunter, but it also involves Biden's other two brothers, James and Frank Biden. And it works very simply. When Biden goes on a foreign policy trip on an official meeting, he takes a family member in tow. And while Biden is having official meetings, the family member is striking side deals with foreign governments that result in large amounts of cash flowing into the Biden family coffers. This is what Trump was alluding to, but he didn't explain in the first debate. It's all laid out in the movie Trump Card, and TrumpCardTheMovie.com is how you can get that film and get the scoop. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Big thanks to Dinesh D'Souza and Jason Miller to be our guests today on The Water Cooler. And we're playing that audio back here on The Pod's Honest Truth. That's for the debate tonight. Kamala Harris, Mike Pence, get ready. They've got the plexiglass. We can only hope that not that one of them does not pick up the sheet of plexiglass and removes it from the stage and starts to uh, beat the other one with it. Uh, that would be more of a Trump-Biden debate, not one between Kamala Harris and Vice President Pence. I don't expect that. I think this will be a relatively civilized debate. Then again, uh, I expect fireworks as well. Can Mike Pence crank up some energy because Kamala Harris is going to come at him fast and furious? We're going to find out and we'll discuss it tomorrow on the Pods Honest Truth.